Conrad, a working mom of a toddler and an elementary school kid. And I'm Claire, the mom of two boys who are also in elementary school, and I also work full-time. We're two friends in the middle of the country, in the middle of parenting, in the middle of our careers, and in the middle of just about everything. Hi, guys. So this week's episode has been a doozy to get out. We've had every technical problem you can possibly imagine. Ironically, the week we have the music and audio expert on, we end up having terrible problems in the studio. So uh, we might sound a little bit kind of tunnely. Hopefully you'll stick with us. It was either that or a really loud computer fan that came on halfway through. So hope you enjoyed that. We had a great conversation with our friend Paul about kids and music and his amazing rock band program that he runs at Riverfield School here in Tulsa. Um, One other little thing we wanted to bring up is last week on our episode, we had such a good response, you guys. So thanks so much for all the great messages we got about covering uh, our last week's topic about talking about marijuana with your kids. During that episode, we went off on kind of a weird tangent about where the money goes from the marijuana taxes. Anyway, we got some actual correct information. We are going to link up to it. I'll add it in this week's show notes, and I'll go back and add it to last week's show notes if you're interested. But basically, um, we found out that uh, the taxes go... to a drug and alcohol rehab fund, 75% to Oklahoma's general fund. You may or may not want that detail, but if you did, there it is. And we'll link up to some more detailed information about it. So just a little bit of business. Um, One more thing, we would still love questions for listener Q&A. We um, were supposed to do that a couple weeks ago and got shut out of recording because of school closings, because of all of our bad weather here in Oklahoma. So we're rescheduling that episode and would still love your questions. So send us anything you got and we'll move on now into our conversation with Paul Knight. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at themiddleofeverythingpodcast.com, on Instagram or Facebook at The Middle of Everything, and on Twitter at T-M-O-E Podcast. And if you like the show, don't forget to review us on iTunes. It helps. Thanks. Bye. All right. So we're here with Paul. Say hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Sorry, I'm supposed to. I guess I am a dad. I got a thing. Dad joke. That's the only line of the whole episode. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I come home with the dad jokes. (laughs) Yeah, so we're here talking to Paul Knight. Paul and Sarah and I have been friends for littles are seven now. Six years. So six years, at least. We've known each other even longer. Yeah. What are Oliver and Parker in the Butterfly Festival? Twos. Twos, okay. Yeah, so seven years probably. We all met at the Magical Preschool. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Paul, that that school that also has elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, Paul's wife, Brooke, was one of our earliest podcast guests, and we were so glad that she was. And Paul also teaches at the same school. So he teaches. um, Paul, do you only teach rock band at this point, or do do you, because I realize that's such a popular program, or do you have other music theory-type classes? Yeah, I teach music theory, um, music production. And songwriting. And then some stuff outside of that too, right? Some private classes. I teach private lessons after school. And, um, and I work with some other groups like the Tulsa Oktoberfest and yeah. I work with some of the Universe Festival, things like that. You've also released your own stuff. That's right, yeah. And we will link up to all of this mm-hmm. um, on the show notes and on our social stuff. So he's a mammoth in his dive group. 
Most musicians are. Yeah, true. Exactly. So the reason why I was so excited to have Paul on the podcast, besides I'm sure we'll go a lot of different places, as we were, as we were waiting to, uh, before we got recording, we already went on several tangents about um, him helping us figure out the audio with the podcast, which <laughs> listeners will probably be very grateful for any we, support we, we get. We got some good tips. <laughs> we got some hot tips. Um, and also Zelda. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of places this could go, and I'm open to all of that. But the the reason I wanted to have Paul on was because we've been talking before about kids and music, and specifically when and how to introduce them to musical education, um, how to nurture and kind of cultivate any kind of aptitude you think you see in your kid mm-hmm. or interest maybe is another word that you see in your kid um how hard to push maybe if you don't see that aptitude <laughs> so so this is my case for sure which is my kids have not really expressed any desire but somewhere back in the recesses of my mind I feel like it's a good important thing to know so mm-hmm. like I I'm kind of now in this place of like do I go ahead and enroll them in some kind of lesson even though they haven't asked so we're going to dig into all of this. So I want to start at the beginning, which is um, first, Paul, tell us how, like, with your kids, how you thought about introducing music education to them. Sure. Well, with, with us, it's a little different because they of, have no choice. Well, they, have, they absolutely have <laughs> no, a choice. I'm just kidding. They just they're surrounded by it. So I mean, to them, it was never a question of um, at least what we've seen is whether or not they wanted to. It's like when they wanted to and what they wanted to do. Um, we've got you know every sort of instrument available to them at home, um, and then at work they come up with me all the time, and just we just have. Especially when they were younger, when they were, I don't know, really starting about two. Each of them were around two. I would just give them their drumsticks and a drum set, and just let them bash. Actually, maybe younger than that, they'd sit more often on the drums, play on the keyboards, and play some microphones, and then um, ultimately around, I want to say, seven, uh, Parker started wanting to play guitar um, and taking keyboard lessons at school. We have a program called MIDI for Kids that we've had for a couple of years. It's our national program, and um, both both of ours have been successful in there. So Parker's on piano, and he's actually a really good um, so explain really quick, MIDI for Kids. What is that it exactly is, mean? It um, is an ensemble-based program where the students are in a class. Uh, it's kind of like a group keyboard class, but they are learning to play music together as opposed to you know practicing a single thing for oh, recital okay. or something like that. They're playing a part, like a bass, the bass guitar part on the keyboard using MIDI notes, like MIDI, like MIDI uh, control signals. So it's you, know, you push the middle C piano. And not a piano sound, it's basic, or a drum, or whatever. And they, they put they put them together and they play songs. Okay. So, but they're all just. That's great. Keyboards. So they're learning kind of how it all fits together, yeah. but on the sort of level playing field of the piano. I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, they learn to read the music, they learn to see, but they also learn how the parts all kind of fit together. Right. That's great. And the piano's that. great for that. I mean, yeah. that's one of those things that music majors all have to ask piano proficiency because, you know, the, like you said, it's all right there. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can look at the piano and find every note. Like if I, you know, I can teach someone in five seconds, like what C is at a piano. They can find all the other C's. Right. Take a like an advanced guitar player. And go, okay, find every C of the guitar. You know, find how many times. Right. You have to find those pianos just right there. So that's why I sort of get started with that, and that's why I started 
um, with that um, when you did, I guess. And um, they... Um, I appreciate that deference, by the way, but I totally think Brooke would be like, yeah, I know this is classic. Like, he, <laughs> he gets to pick which instruments the kids play. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny. We, we started later with the... Um, with the formal lessons than I did. I started when I was, I mean, played. When I was three, I was violin, and then four was when I started piano. And that was all public. And I think when I was three, it was a Suzuki method on violin. And I didn't really like it. To be honest, you know, a four-year-old, it's... It's a lot to ask. Yeah, and, you know, it's important for it to be fun, so... If, if the music teacher is good at making it fun for a four-year-old, then it, is it, I don't know that it really matters so much what the instrument is. Because you're just being exposed to music, which is good. Being, being able to bash on things. Maybe the kid's just coming in, hanging out with me and hitting stuff around it. Maybe that was as good and beneficial as a formalized uh, lesson at age four. But I guess I'm not Right, for sure. Well, what I, what I, when you were describing sort of what the kids are experiencing now, that it's very different from um, the way I perceive music. Like when we were growing up, like it was very much like you went to maybe a school, maybe uh, some really proficient person's house, exactly, Mm -hmm. and you would have sort of the three songs that you needed to just nail perfectly. Like I remember being really excited about the guitar, getting a guitar, getting signed up for guitar lessons. And, like, having a teacher that drilled me on Jingle Bells so hard. And I was just, like, so sick of that thing. And all I wanted to do was play, like, a Janis Joplin song, right? Which I'm sure I was completely incapable of doing. And she recognized that. But at the the same time, like, what I love about your program is I feel like kids are working towards a thing that they want to play anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know that learning Jingle Bells and learning Janis Joplin song, depending on the song, is a really different other than the fact that you would have liked it more exactly. and probably would have stuck with the instrument longer had you had had that beginning yeah for sure and because i mean we we start especially me as a guitar teacher i start with chords at a very young age it's kind of like where we begin because our perspective is we want them playing the band mm-hmm. and so like takes parker for instance so he can and parker for the oh, audience yeah he's our oldest he's nine mm-hmm. and um like he can play you know some some pretty much all the standard chords really well, and he can change quickly. He can play, uh, he can play some Imagine Dragon songs. I'm sure oh. the parents out there going, "I'm sorry, it's a good, it's a good thing to start with." They like it. <laughs> um, Jimmy Eat World, um, several. There's several songs we learned, and he's just taken to it because he likes the song we're doing and he's interested. And so I'll pick some songs that you know are in line with his interests that will keep him excited about what he's doing because it's hard learning learning any instrument. Learning guitar is, especially for young and small hands, not small. Um, that child is not small. No, it's not, he's not. Um, but for, for, for young people, playing guitar can be extra hard because of the, you know, the wear and tear on your fingers. It's difficult. And and I tried to learn in my 20s to play guitar. Uh, took lessons for a couple of years. My hands, uh, my hands are freakishly small. I've never noticed that. I, I physically could not reach some of the chords because my hands are so small and I just got frustrated and quit. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's showing yeah. us his small hands too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Insta picture. Yeah. Small. We should Instagram this. Yours aren't much bigger than yeah. mine. That's impressive. So I, I do not buy your excuse. <laughs> okay. Well, I should have, I should have just done more stretching exercises and tried yeah. a little harder. Yeah. This was, 
you know, a, a whim I had in my <laughs> mid-20s, I think. And yeah. then I thought, okay, piano, I'm fine with that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Just go back to that one. So your kids started with drums, like, at the most basic level, like yeah. drumsticks, just having fun. And then it sounds like Parker's kind of navigated into the guitar. What about Brady? Brady, um, for Christmas, I don't know if it was last year or year before, but I think it's the one of those. Cool. And so Brady is almost seven, Almost right? seven. Yeah. Wait, no, Brady is seven. Just turned seven. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, know, I know my child's age, I promise. She led, was, she led the that witness. Was a, that was a leading question, because my kid is almost seven, mm-hmm. and I just think of them as being the exact same. Um, yeah, he's he's into bass and also takes keyboard, piano, practices piano at home, and uh, bass from time to time. But yeah, it was two years ago uh, for his birthday. I don't know, for something, he got a bass and he loves it as he grows. He'll be able to play it more, which is hard at seven for um, to play the bass because the guitar is hard on your hands, bass is even more hard on your hands. But I think it's cool that he was interested. Absolutely. So, so Josh and I went to a Punch Brothers concert recently, and um, it was for his birthday. So I splurged and got the VIP Ooh. tickets, which came with a little Q and A with the band, which mm-hmm. is cool. So one of the questions um, that somebody asked Thiele, Chris Thiele, who um, somebody has shared it's not very hard to anymore. I don't remember. remember. Okay, um, from here, live from here, live from here. I'm almost positive that's it. But also amazing musician. So he took over for Chris and Hewitt on, on that thing. We don't know who he is. Anyway, uh, we asked who, um, somebody, not we, somebody in the audience asked him, like, what do you do, like, what's your stance on, like, introducing kids to music? And his comment, and actually the whole band kind of chimed in and agreed, was just, like, take them to as many live shows as humanly possible. Like, listening to music in your home is amazing, but, like, if you, if it's something you're passionate about, even separating it from the skill conversation, whether right, my kid yeah. has an aptitude for this. If it's a passion of yours, a lot of people, and this audience in particular was a great example, was all adults. There's no reason why a kid couldn't have been there, right? Like, you know, this wasn't a gangster rap concert or anything <laughs> like that. But but his point was, like, bring them with you. When you go find opportunities to, to go to live concerts where, where they can be. And this is one thing, too, that I think is really neat because of the culture of Riverfield where you teach. Like, there's all these performances, and their performances by kids of kids of songs that other kids want to hear and they're they were always at these like insanely family friendly times and locations <laughs> and that was another yeah. cool thing about it so um have your kids been to any other live concerts outside of the school environment and yeah like, um it's funny they they we've had some really cool opportunities to take um people to concerts from with the with the band program you know it is um jeff mcclay who was the jail the junior director center um gave us about 150 tickets for YouTube. What? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It so is ridiculous. I got to be like the so It's coolest. like half a million dollar gift or something. Was, I'm just kidding. It's, it's massive. Um, so we, but we got to um, you know, give them out to our band community and it's all over Tokyo and we gave out to everybody else in the school community who wanted them. But that became um, Brady's first concert. That's oh my great. So imagine your first concert being you too. What was your first concert? Um, um, it was so long ago. I know yeah. mine, and it's embarrassing. So is mine. I, I was, you to say yours first. So <laughs> I, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. Because This is going to tangent. I don't even care because it's worth it. We watched on Netflix this 
horrible movie about Motley Crue. Not a documentary. It's like, oh, a, right. have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. this? I, I it's terrible. I it wish is, that decade of music. No, it is. It's one of those movies that is so terrible. Right. It's fun. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I'm not going to lie. One minute in, I and there's a very distinctive reason why. And if you watch it, you will know the reason I'm talking about. I was like, no, I'm out. Like, I can't with this. And we ended up watching it, laughing, cracking up through the whole thing. It was great. Okay. So we start talking about just that type of music. Yeah. First concert I ever went to, now this is probably like 88, 89, was the Scorpions with Trickster as the opening band. I thought you were going to say Molly Crow. No, it wasn't Molly Crow. I've never seen that. <laughs> Anyway, same, same kind oh of. Oh my gosh, were you, genre. What, what were you wearing? Do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah, because I have a total mental picture of you at that concert. Right yeah, now. I mean, lots I, of hairspray was involved. Lots of hairspray, yes. yeah. acid wash jeans, probably. for sure. French cuff, French cuff. Oh, probably. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there you Amazing. go. That's, that that dates me a little mine bit too. Mine was on the block. Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think mine. No I mean, instruments played. Oh, definitely. Or word song. <laughs> Yeah, lots of dances. Just did a lot of dance. Yeah, um, I know that my my several first concerts would have been something like a Steely Dan show after baseball games because they were always on like Ricky Freeman. Oh, okay. And then pretty rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I saw Aerosmith when I was really young with uh, Black Crows. I think like, nice. like there was some band they saw like uh, they were back in the day after that too. Wow, and they were better than Aerosmith. Um, and then I, I saw. MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, and Vogue. <laughs> nice. I saw Vanilla Ice a lot in college. So he a was lot? he was like on the decline times. when I was in college, and he used to play frat parties in Norman all the time, right. like at least once a year. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah, right. Went, yeah. Awesome. And he, I mean, you know, the whole so concert. So not only did you see him multiple times, you saw him at multiple frat houses. Oh yeah, oh, naturally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. John Mayer used to play there. Really? I wouldn't have minded that. I went to a really good John Mayer County Crows concert, which no. think whatever you want, but it was amazing. It was in Dallas in this outdoor amphitheater, and I just remember thinking, like, if I die tonight, I'm so happy. Like, it was the best night I, ever. People give John Mayer a hard time, and I don't know if this is just me getting old, but I was I was somewhere recently, and it's somewhere embarrassing, like the grocery store or something, and John Mayer was playing, and I was just singing along, and I thought, why don't I listen to more often, I totally set up like a John Mayer Spotify that just <laughs> listened to it, sang along. I knew all the songs. I was like, this isn't this isn't yeah. bad to have in my life. I mean, okay. Speak, speaking basic. of singer songwriters, that's a good segue because okay. I want to ask Paul when um, at what age do kids in your program start actually writing their own music? It varies because um, there's I mean, usually not a ton of them are writers. Um, usually. Right now we've got maybe a dozen or so, um, but we've got one that performed her first song for one of our events in fact, we have one, actually two, we have one right now who's going to be in fifth grade that did an original song, Athena, which is a, a winter like on-campus coffee shop singer-songwriter night, and she was in fourth grade, but barely in fourth grade this point. It was really sad and super deep for someone of her age. And um, so, I mean, I guess, it, I guess it varies from year to year, but currently, we've got a couple. One that's going into seventh grade has got a dozen versions. And then one that's going into fifth grade has at least one, but I'm pretty sure it's 
sure she has more. So are they typically writing, well, maybe this is a question for you too. Do you typically write, well, I imagine you're writing your theme music, not mm-hmm. the lyrics first. Do you start with lyrics? Oh, um, oh, oh, you so, know. So I'm asking for the kids and then it extending to you, but I've sure. heard your music and so I feel like I know that you probably lead with the music. Oh, but sure. for these kiddos, are they starting with the lyrics and then writing the song yeah. that goes underneath They're them? starting Yeah. And then sometimes they write them both simultaneously. I know that a lot of songwriters do. Um, they'll just kind of start, since you play guitar, they'll start playing guitar chord progression, then start kind of singing words and sounds and syllables at the same time. So it's, I mean, technically the music has to start before they start singing, but you know, a lot of them do simultaneously. And it, to, to me, that's, that could almost be two different skill sets, right? Because you hear about that a lot with, you know, like popular musicians. It's like, you know, they'll collaborate oh, and it's kind of like one person's that. better at writing oh, yeah. lyrics and one person. Is better, or you know what I'm I mean. Like, so there's a lot of it's more like I might be good. I just don't let myself get that far. Yeah. My degree is in composition, um, so I'm not, I come from more like the jazz classical background. So words always got in the way, and to, you know, if I'm listening to music for the most part um, on my own time. It's been mostly music because that's what I am personally interested. Mm-hmm. So if there's, there's a couple of our students that are into just instrumental which you know, most people, it's the, the music becomes a vessel for the mm-hmm. Teenagers have a lot to say. Yeah. Well, for sure. A lot. <laughs> a, lot of work, a lot to work through. Yeah. Absolutely. I sure did. So I want to circle back. Uh, you earlier were mentioning, I think Brady in particular, we're talking about practice. That's something we struggle mm-hmm. with in our house. And I know the way the way we've sort of introed into piano lessons is the music teacher at my kid's school teaches. He just goes straight there after school. And his his approach at this age, because we're talking about a seven-year-old, is he does a 15-minute lesson because he says past that, the attention span just isn't there. And asks you to practice five to ten minutes a day. We do not do this every day by any chance. Oh, yeah. So is this like... Is there, do you have any one tips for me? Because the podcast is sometimes all about me just getting personal life tips from my guests, but, or from our guests, sorry, I'm missing my, um, you're just, this is all about me right now, thank you. Um, or, you know, how do you guys approach that? Does he just willingly say, oh, it's time for piano practice or bass practice? Or is this like a, yeah, <laughs> there's seven, right? You've got to, got to guide a little. <laughs> usually the practice time is the, is the lesson, the group lesson time. But because it's a group lesson, it's, you know, there's a performance element where they're trying to play as good as, or play as well as the They've got peer pressure, exactly. yeah. Um, you know, they may not recognize that they don't recognize that, but they, um, that element adds a little bit of extra adrenaline to mm-hmm. make up for the lack of practice. We do try to practice at least once or twice a week. Um, usually for longer than five it's like mm-hmm. 15 to 20. Um, you know, I tell my, all, all my fellow students to practice every day. And, and it's not about the one, it's about doing it. Mm-hmm. So, like habit forming? Right. And it, I mean, think of it like speaking. If you only spoke one day a week, when you went, when it was your turn to speak, you would not be very confident in your voice. You'd be constantly clearing your throat, or stuttering, kind of figure out what it is you're trying to get out because you aren't used to speaking. It's the same thing with an instrument because the musical instrument is. Another language is with playing with sound, you know, turning sound into, and sometimes into things that feel like words. And, and spending the, the time to generate a habit is, mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather have someone practice that every five minutes than once a week for an hour. 
That's even though that I, once a week an hour is more, it isn't necessarily effective. Effective practice is the most important thing. It's, if you're practicing, there needs to be time where you sit down and you play for you, having fun, enjoying the experience of playing the instrument, but you do have to do the painful thing, which is working. Well, in some of this early steps, we just started piano lessons this year. It was just basic theory, just learning the notes, learning to read the music, yeah. and you know what I usually make him do. And again, we don't do this every day because then it's like we've got we've got taekwondo, we've got other you know oh, we've yeah. got You're life and all these other things. But um, you know, they'll usually we we're doing way more traditional piano lessons, I would say, than what we would you know be doing at Riverville. It's just the bastion. You know, oh, yeah. basic that shit's good. We go through, you know, he usually has like two songs basically yeah. per week and we make him play through all those at least once. And then he has like a workbook that's like the theory and mm-hmm. like draw the notes or whatever. So did Bowie ask to start taking piano lessons or were you like, I think it's important for you to learn? I, well, so we like Paul have a lot of instruments laying around our house. We've got guitars, we've got basses, we've got drums, Great we've got a piano. Yeah, so... They were kind of the same from a young age, just go in there and kind of tinker around on mm-hmm. things. They hit the drums, they mess around on the piano, they ask, they ask to play the guitars, usually that means grand plays, and they watch because he doesn't want them touching his guitars. So he's but really good at we do have a little yeah. one as well. Um, oh, pro tip, the nice house, uh, at least, you know... Uh, when the kiddos were little, and I'm not sure if this is still the case, was full of ukuleles. You know, oh, yeah, ukulele absolutely. for everyone in the family. That was everybody's first instrument. Yeah. It was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh my. And I remember commenting on it, and Brooke, your wife, was just like, well, they're the perfect size for kids. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Why is that not so obvious? So let me, let me tag on to that. So this year, was it? last year, sorry, this is our second year at Riverfield of having a ukulele program. So every school has had recorded programs for Yeah. And, you know, you look back at the formulation of that in schools, it's really so that when their kids are old enough, they're going to get into school band, their middle school band, their high school band, whatever it might be, they've had experience with the wind instrument, they know what it's like to sustain breath and to turn the note, to use fingers, to manipulate the pitch. Um, but at Riverfield, we don't have a traditional therapy. We just have 15,000 kids in Rockland. Mm-hmm. So... That becomes, though it's important to learn and we still learn it, it's almost like a bridge to me mm-hmm. in terms of why the instrument is taught in schools. So we we brought in ukuleles two years ago so that in the same fourth and fifth grades we were looking at the quarters to also stand. Our first equal amounts of time, I believe, and then they kind of go whichever direction you want to go into, which tends to be ukulele. And they're learning regular, you know, pop and rock songs because they're, um, it's a, everything's a cognate on the ukulele. So it's just a different tuning. So like on the ukulele, if you play um, if you play um, a G chord, it is the same as like a D chord, for instance, on this one. So you're already learning these shapes that then when you add the extra two strings below, you just tell the student, okay, it's just like the thing you did on the ukulele, but just add this number here or there. And then instead of learning something from scratch, they've already kind of learned the hardest part. And it's so much easier on their fingers and their foot. It's so tiny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm getting a birthday idea from an up-and-coming four-year-old. We don't cheap. have... Yeah, we need... That's, Top tip. And he's very Buy interested. the cheap one. Um, the music store has got... Um, oh, my gosh. I believe it's like the Dolphins. They're like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. Buy the cheapest one, for, especially because they're kids are going to go to they're so strong they can basically bash them in the wall. But tell them that, and they're great. The strings are garbage. So what you do is you replace the strings with 
professional strings for like six dollars, and then it'll stay in tune and sound like that. There's someone in my house that would be all over that. Yeah, <laughs> they're kind of pain to change. So yeah, have Grant do it, or yeah, a music store would do it too. Okay, good uh, I'm to sure know. They would, especially if you buy them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, it makes all the difference in the world. Ooh, hot tip. I love yeah. So, yeah, so, like, in our house, and this is speaking of hot tips, this was, you know, we kind of talked about this before as sort of the, pi- the piano being the foundation, um, and what we had always heard, in addition to Paul, we have a couple other friends that teach music, just kind of from background, is that, you know, sort of start with the piano, even if there's interest in guitar or drums or wherever that is, but that gives you, again, to me, it's what that, um, you know, it, it's a straight line with all, with all the notes, so I think it's easy for kids to understand, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if they express interest in drums or something, and they have that foundation of being able to read music, you know, because I've, see, I've seen that with, with my husband and with some other guitar players, it's like, they know the tab, they know how to play guitar, but they don't know how to actually read music. Right, well, because, I mean, there are strengths in being able to read music, but they're not applicable for most styles of guitar, not, not, not they're just, you know, for the guitar player, the tablature shows them where to play it. And you have to be a very advanced guitar player to see sheet music and know what's telling you to play it on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Because, like, take middle C, for instance, there isn't just one on the guitar. So on the piano, there's one middle C. So being able to find where the best place to play these parts, um, which takes away you know, maybe hours of time trying to figure out where that would be, um, the tab helps with that. Yeah. And so it just really gets to the to the, to the end result of playing, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's why we write music down and have written music so that we can play it again. Mm-hmm. Because that was the original, original podcast, you know, 600 years ago, it was. And how write down music was in a way that we could pass it on from generation to generation, even mm-hmm. person to person. So what do you say, so what about um, <clears throat> people for whom their kids haven't maybe shown haven't asked. Let's just yeah. say it that way. Like, haven't asked to play. Ask. Would you encourage parents to still enroll their kids in music uh, education? Yes. And And then at what age, and how would you coach somebody in that situation? I would say, if you're starting younger than six or seven, something that's exploratory, where they get to play a bunch of different ways. Really past that, you know, starting them, if they ask for, if they, okay, if they don't ask, I would start them with piano, or, you know, if they have if they have larger than in their hands, so just kind of good sized hands, maybe starting with guitar, young would be good too. Um really try to, you know, get to know your kid, like what what are they into? And if you can connect with what they're into, with what you know, with, with an instrument, that would spark an interest. But you know, the most important thing I would say, you know, non musical thing with an instrument at any age is the whole um, it's the the coordination side of things. It's the muscle memory, the, the motor control. I mean, there's the brain development, the math side of your brain. I mean, it's there's so many things, and there's thousands of studies that show sure. music. Like music uses both sides of your brain simultaneously, and music to read and play music, to think ahead, looking at a sheet of music, and knowing what's going to come and make the sounds happen, and um, uses nearly 100 percent of your brain. And there's nothing else that I know. And I've done lots of research trying to figure out what else does this, but nothing really else does it like music does. It's so interesting you say that because, I, so we've been in this, because I 100% agree, and it's one of those things that you, 
you want your kids to want to do these things that you know are quote unquote good. I mean, yeah. it is good, but like good for them, like empirically good for them. Um, just like I really want my kids to love asparagus, but they don't. Not that music <laughs> is the same thing. I'm just same. saying, like, you know what I mean? I hate asparagus. So I, yeah, okay, so this is really helpful because you, you wonder, like, and, and it's funny because listeners know my kids are enrolled in like a language education program. They clearly did not opt into that. I clearly right. said, like, this is the school you're going to go to. This is important to me. I want you to learn this. Um, and now I just had a light bulb moment when we were talking, which is, and, and I had my reasons for that, right? Because I think it does amazing things for your brain and culturally and all that stuff. So now I'm having that same light bulb moment when it comes to music, which is like, even if you're not asking, it's important to expose. It's important to try. I love all of the discipline, by the way, that comes with it, too, of practice and just, you know, and, and confidence mm-hmm. for performing. I've got one kiddo that's maybe less sort of confident than the other, and I, I can imagine that being really healthy, too. I just wasn't sure how hard to, how hard to push. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe push isn't the right word, but encourage. You right. know what I mean? You know, I would say at a young age, you don't want to like, be, like, don't, don't make it a it's, it's easy to be like, we're paying for this. She should be practicing right, every. Exactly. That's that you're almost guaranteed. Okay. But you know, even just it's just the routine of doing the thing. They're going to click at some point, or they're not. But at the very end, the worst case scenario is, you know, you get them in, you get them an instrument, and they become better, mm-hmm. and it's more engaged with community. Mm-hmm. They may not be, uh, you know, a player, but they'll appreciate it. They will understand a lot better now. And I would think, you know, after a year or two, if they absolutely hate it. Because that was the situation with my sister and I. We both took piano. She did it for a couple of years. She just did not, not like it. it. She she didn't want to practice. She didn't want to do the recital. She just not interested. I loved it, and I, I was decent at it, and, you know, enjoyed it to the point that I enjoyed performing and doing things like that. So I kept going um, until high school, and then I the recital side of it, especially like for the introvert, that's not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of, especially the extrovert side of people like just like, hey, check out what I did. It's all from watching it and fall asleep and listen to it. But a lot of the students that are really good or that are just trying hard aren't into it. Yeah. Never going to especially by themselves. I mean, you would be, that's one of the things that is most mind blowing about what we do with Anchor in school is. A lot of the teachers that come to the shows and afterwards are going to be blown away when they see the student who never talks about this, who they have to beg to participate, get up there and sing their heart out, and wearing makeup and like dancing around on stage. Like, who is this child? And it's like, this is where they're letting it out, but they're not by themselves in a quiet room, everybody's staring at them at the piano or a violin or whatever it might be. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just not for everybody, but a group out of the group element takes away a lot of the fear from the recital. At the same time, if someone doesn't want to perform from the people, yeah. at some point they may want to, but it doesn't make you, I mean, the, the act of practicing for that recital will make you better play, period. But performing in front of people won't necessarily make you better play. So if someone doesn't want to perform in front of others, but they're okay with practicing, practice like they want, like you're going to perform in front of people, you know. So how does the social aspect of uh, rock band of the field work? So like, when, how do the um, bands themselves form? Or how do the kids kind of, uh, I, 
does it work out that typically you have the right number, for example, of guitar players versus drummers versus whatever, singers? Like, how, how does that, that seems pretty, just from what I know of teenagers, like that could be a, a complex process. <laughs> it is the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is make the band. So I, I make the bands. Okay, so the kids don't. No, they, they, they can point their own bands outside of school really could. But, you know, you're, as I mean, transplant yourself back to being a teenager. You're concerned with your friends, what they're doing in a room. Not necessarily knowing everything about the scale of your other friends. So, like, you may want to be in a, in a band with this person and that person, and you guys all sing. That's cool. Who's playing guitars? And it's like, oh, I, well, she'll learn guitar. She never played before. That's cool. That's great. Learn guitar. But does that mean you're going to have a band where you start rehearsing with the performances that are happening in front of you? Probably not. So being able to spread those group players to groups that have dance players, um, making sure you have the dance players in every group to help kind of drive the bands, um, making sure with us, because it's happening on school day, which is one of the big things different about the local rocks in English anyway, is that you know, they come in the third period is going to be a band, just like normal school. But it's rock band, but because of the way, like, because I have to have guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, vocals, and we do, I have to be like, okay, well, you want to be in band, you play guitar. Okay, so, but you're signed up for this section, there's nine guitar players, and I have no guitar players in this section. I need to put you here, but if I do that, then you can't be in yoga, because it's only operating at the same time. So we're going to find you another <laughs> elective. Dude, you can't be in yoga. Can you we just mean? appreciate the school for a minute? <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to go. Yoga is the gym substitute, I assume. Yeah. I'm just um, but yes, but yeah. I appreciate the complexity of it. It's, it's like, super. It's yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I'm sure there's, you know, feelings involved too. Sometimes. There's a lot of feelings, and I try to remind everybody in the team that they say, I should be listening. Uh, it's you know, all about trying to make every band work. And every band, a play of a band. And that's hard. But it's what when done well, it is the most like again. I'll just speak from somebody who is like I remember showing up with priests, you know, with preschoolers, being friends with Paul and Brooke, coming just to support, be a part of the community, check out the Llama Palooza and some of the different things they did, and just as like with adult eyes looking at these kids of all ages, and as you say, like in every band, there's clearly people who are very good musicians and people that are learning and all of that, but the output of like a recognizable awesome song that you can like sing along to that is current that and, from and like the eighth graders or younger, younger or old, you know yeah it's so wild to watch and because it happens consistently it's not like a band is good like every single one of them can pull it together this year we have 15 bands it's incredible yeah it's awesome okay so now we're, we're kind of like our, our age is progressing up now and now we're sure. kind of talking about high schoolers so I want to I want to kind of go there, which is like so you've got high schoolers, and I happen to know you had some really talented musicians come through the program or develop in the yeah, program. Sure. So do you um, can you kind of share different schools or music programs they've gone to after high school? Yeah. Um, so we're we're a really small school compared to other schools in the high schools and and we graduating class of let me say a few years ago about thirty. 33, and I graduated class in that number. We had two that went to Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston, which is the number one school in the country, if not, if not the world, definitely the country. For what, 
for commercial music, modern music that they need. So we've had students there. We had a student that graduated yesterday, yesterday <laughs> from uh, from Tisch at NYU, from the, I think it's the Todd Davis uh, School of Recording Arts, which mm-hmm. is like, he was, it's like he was, he's he's yeah. um, he's Clyde Davis. Clyde Davis. So he um, that school. I mean, it's I mean, it's been a typical for students from here to the whole program. Um, I think that's worth the value. And Maggie Rogers is, is there with him as a student. It's amazing. So, so for sure, uh, what you guys are doing is unique. And and I, what a question I have is like, do you get any kind of? And, and maybe it's sort of a self-selected crowd of families. But do you ever get resistance, or have you ever heard resistance from parents whose kids want to pursue music education after high school? And maybe the parents, and you know, come at it with more of a like. Okay, what if we got a business degree first, <laughs> or what if we, um, you know, did something that maybe a little more classically? I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see me, but practical, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think you may disagree with me here, but I think generally speaking, a career in the arts is not always seen as the most stable from a just long term. Like you can build a career, make money, have health insurance kind of perspective. So I can imagine, and maybe it's just because of my personality and the fact that I'm married to an engineer, <laughs> that you would be really worried about like a kid, you know, going all in on music for a, a post high school education. Do you ever see that resistance from parents, or are they pretty well open to it? I think by the time that those select students, and it's not most of us. That's not our goal. Right. We're really just trying to get them to develop and appreciate what the music lesson. Is. You know, I don't really see the pushback because by the time they, especially if they've been with us the whole time. By the time we hit that junior year, we really started with the colleges and figure out what they're going to do. Those students are going to know yeah. what they want to do. And they're, they're going to, they're, you know, we, we talk about careers in the arts. We talk about, uh, you know, all sorts of ways to to monetize what their interests are. Um, our college classrooms do a really good job of it, too. Um, but I mean, just from the arts side, you know, we really have students that are, they're ready to make that jump. Or their parents are like, okay. We'll try this for a couple of years, and then you know, maybe if this isn't a thing, because once you get to college, music is the thing about majoring in music is you know, like one, let's say you're going to be a doctor, so if you're one thousand dollar class in bio. This is assuming you get a doctor, now you're just going to be proficient. With music, it is like that. So your one thousand dollar music class is like, okay, cool, you've been playing for ten years, twelve years, fourteen years. Let's start making this official, even though you're already a professional musician. That so it's a totally different learning curve for the traditional music program. There's a lot of music, uh, modern music programs, and you mentioned business. Music business is kind of a justifiably trained uh, degree right now. So they're coming in, they're, they're coming in with the extensive background in music, but because it's not performance based, there isn't this intense um, lead-up process as a professional. At the same time, they're gearing them towards having a business. So they'll have a principal instrument, secondary instrument most likely, and a degree in business, music music business, usually a Bachelor of Science, I believe. So that is a springboard to go on into the music business world to go into law and law school and become an entertainment lawyer. There's all sorts of things that you can do. So maybe in the music business you can go into a lot of those a lot of schools don't require anything other than so, you know, music, majoring in music, 
I don't think there's as much of a, a fear as as people would let on that there is. We have a student that's graduating next year from TU School of Music and Performance that's going into the middle school to me. So I had a, my, my first apartment when I was in college, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, was an undergraduate and master's in music theory in Houston. So, I mean, it's just... Well, I think it's kind of like you said, I mean, having that exposure to music, then this is an opinion, this is something studies have shown time and time again, does things to your brain, right? Absolutely. So it's like, I can, it, it's not crazy for me to hear, I, I haven't thought about it, but to hear you describe that, it kind of makes perfect sense, right? Now, <laughs> for any, anyone who was a teenager is like, I'm going to go get a well, or an I mean, art major, or you know. So now I'm just wondering. Okay, so say you do want to teach a Britney Spears song, do you just listen to it? Do you pick out the music and just teach it, or is, can, you, can you buy sheet music to Britney Spears? Like you just you just listen and write it out and then share that. Like it's mind blowing to watch. I've, I've seen you do this. Like you put on, like you're listening and then you're writing out the music or something. I don't know. We were over at the studio and we were. Oh, yeah. And if you're changing things right, yeah, yeah, yeah. to make it more maybe kid friendly or you know, um, for various age groups, I don't know. I tend how. to not. So that's another that's a totally different topic of censorship. I cannot stand it as an artist. Like I don't, I don't tend to want to do songs that have to be censored. So, oh well, I meant like so the like, music. Like if it's like a really hard, oh, yeah, yeah, like the run or something, you could. Yeah, yeah, some, but also, yeah, that that's we, a whole other. Yeah, absolutely. We tend topic. to not dumb things down. That's important. Right. Topic, um, so yeah. We've um, had some kids' bop discussions on the podcast before. We're going before. there next, yeah. so. Please. I have very strong Okay. So certain songs will require like, actual transcribing of musical units. Uh, we do a lot of radio hits because it's a lot, you know, like, cerebrally heavy. And because you love yeah. radio. <laughs> but that's why I love it. Right? Okay, okay. Yeah, that's I like, I mean, the music, like, I wasn't into it. I was like, own it, Paul. Own radio Yeah. 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 I um, I got into him in college, yeah. and it wasn't like I wasn't listening to him in high school. In high school, I was only listening to things like Technical Jungle, and Zappa, Dream Theater, Rush, and then um, Jazz. That's it. So like I came, it was like ironically, it was learning classical compositions where I discovered radio right? because that's the genre that are absolutely the closest related to, and it has become almost like the thesis that we can play It's like using you know, you know quote unquote simple pop music. To teach advanced music concepts, and that is the go-to thing because they're one of the things that they wouldn't ever get into until late college and at twelve. And so that's one of the reasons why we've had a lot of successful students going to these music schools is the concepts that they're introduced to at such a young age. Uh, and by the time you know, get to college, and your jazz players are popping for only two years, so they're so they're going to understand some very, very in-depth things that are they're just heavy, super heavy things. And it's not like, it's not crazy fast runs like you would get in Rush. Um, although that's just really fun to play. Things like that we'd always have to go on. Um, and then we'd use tablature, we'd those. Uh, chord, chart, chord charts for the whole class, whole band. And then for piano players and video players and sheet music. There's some things that have to be sampled because they are samples in the recordings. Mm -hmm. So I'll recreate those in the software that I to my integrated music verse card, which is awesome and fantastic. And um, we use what's called the Ableton Push, which is 
seen them on stage, probably when I had to do these push button things that might have been a tough thing to make the sounds happen. And um, we use those. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we use we use stuff like that for the kind of more electronic sampling things. Um, and so it's really, you know, going back to the whole importance of sheet music. It's like there's certain things where it's like I need sheet music to, to, to get this concept across. And if I don't, I'm going to. So I've only got to see the people twice a week. We have 14 anniversary of the Philippine Kings Ballroom. We can't stop and make sure everybody's reading the same level. We want time for music. So if the guitar players need to learn this and this and this, we give them that. Um, so they're all on the same footing within each section. It's really cool because everybody's everybody's different. Everybody's skill levels are different. So some song that might be really hard to manage really easy for everybody else. So if you're hearing like some of the songs will stick out when I'm looking at bands from next year, I look at who I've got in my band. If like the song is really simple on guitars, but it's really crazy keyboard part that we really want to do, I've got a strong enough keyboard part to do it. So a lot of it is we pick the things that will help those students be successful. Do you pick the songs for the bands, or do they get in there, too? Both. Both. Yeah. Sometimes. Always recommend it, like, hey, guys, what about this? Yeah. This would be really great. Okay, so we, we can't let Paul go without having a quick kids' bop check-in. <laughs> let's play that. So let's do it. No, 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 because we have this conversation because I was saying, uh, Finn got tickets to a kids' bop concert mm-hmm. this time last year for his sixth birthday. We went. And just, like, my skin crawled. Josh was, like, ready to lose his brains over the whole thing. And, and Claire had to I, explain to me what it was, because I was, that's like... That's a little extreme. I, so, so he, he enjoyed it. It was fine. We were fine. But, like, the concept of it, like, in our souls, because Josh was, like, isn't that how I learned life? Like, really, wasn't how I learned life through, like, listening to music and then going, oh... That's what that means. Or, <laughs> That's like, what Dr. Feelgood means. Exactly. Like <laughs> having all those. Oh, this like, song is about drama. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, in plenty of those times, I figured it out embarrassingly late. But isn't that like, and, and the whole sort of sanitizing of it and pulling out any kind of um, anything and changing the songwriter's meaning, and isn't that lame? And I have a feeling we might be on the same page. Are we on the same page? I love this one. I mean, I. Uh, there was, I heard, I was like walking, I was walking, like some different version of this, or some Imagine Dragon song. It's, which is hilarious that an Imagine Dragon song has to be Kids Bob. Yeah. It's Kids Bob. I mean, like. What in that is, needs to be reworked. So, I mean, I don't, I don't get it because if you're going to let the kid listen to the song, they can listen to the song. I mean, they're not going to connect to it more because it's a group of, Kids that are trying to sound like they're 12, but they're really 18, 19, trying to make the sound of, I don't, I don't know, it just does not make any sense artistically, doesn't make any sense musically, uh, developmentally, and they're ready to hear these songs. We have this weird, different, like, um, it's a very American thing, by the way. Like, absolutely. nobody else in the world, I don't think, is doing this. <laughs> no, and there's a weird double standard of music. Well, I mean, just take, you know, think language in the song. They will go watch it on TV or going to see an Avengers movie. The language that are in those movies, are, you know, because you know, have seen all the movies. And, you know, for a while they weren't ready, but now they are, and they love them, and they know not this, this story and things like that. And we have those discussions because we people, right? But for some reason, there's this weird double standard of music that 
there's anything remotely objectionable in the song that it needs to be censored or changed or not played. And I just don't understand why there's such a disconnect between music and everything else. And to me, K-pop is almost like that. You know what it might be? I in no way we we have never listened to any kids pop in our house just because it grates on my nerves. But like, I think in music sometimes when it is a bad word, it's getting repeated over and over again because it's part of the chorus, and so they're maybe more apt to pick up on it. Or like I've I've noticed in the car, you know, when I'm streaming, it'll say the name of the song, and now that my child can read, you know, everything, he will say like. Now, or usually it has like the little star if it's like shit, you know, it has like the star or whatever, but he will notice it and say, well, what, why is this song, you know, and I'm like, well, you hit on it with it being repetitive. The, the thing about music is people sing it and kids sing it too. Yeah. So I can't remember, I don't know if the, I don't have a great example, but there's probably some, you know, like Nirvana song or something that Ollie kind of walked in like bebopping singing it up, like as I'm here, because I do know what it means yeah. and he doesn't. And so like hearing those words come out of you. <laughs> nine-year-old's mouth it does kind of give you like a head tilt moment I'm like hmm. but then also I just kind of go yeah I'm pretty rad yeah and keep going like I'm a pretty awesome mom I'm in this. Yeah. well I mean for, I find that a lot of the swear words at least in most of the music that we listen to in so, it's yeah. usually not swear words as much as concepts yeah. right yeah I mean all of the classic rock is about drugs in the 70s you know, girls. getting girls, mm-hmm. all like that—that that is it. So for me, it's not the, the language, whatever. I'm like, yeah, it's it's more like. But also, I'm very well aware that I grew up on that such. I, I listened to a lot of Private Dancer by Tina Turner. You guys, <laughs> my parents were really big Tina Turner fans, and guess guess what? I had no so. Yeah, and just because we know what the songs mean does not mean that our nine-year-olds do do because. Most of the part, they don't. They're just kind of repeating the songs, and if you hear, I, it's kind of exactly my point is that they don't. Yeah. And, then, and then at some point, three or four or five or ten years from now, they're going to get it, and then they're going to go, "Oh, cool! I learned a thing." Yeah, like you yeah, know what I mean. And like, is that okay? I think it kind of is. Think okay, this is a liberal podcasting by <laughs> Paul Sarah Claire. Interesting. <laughs> a lot of Tim and Paul. Well, it's more like I don't know some music, but um, I put on Tim and Paul all the time. And there's there's some F words in Tim Paul, but it's like it's super hidden under that. Like yeah. You really have to know. But I also know when they're coming. So we'll have the songs on the car and I might start speaking a little, hey, what do you think about that? <laughs> right before he says the F word or right. you know, the S word or whatever it might be. I know, so I know you guys have older like kids. So your both of your nine year olds have like distinct opinions about what music you're listening to. I mean, like you mentioned Imagine Dragons. Dragons. I Imagine I Dragons don't think I could name girls. an Imagine Dragons song because this is not in my not in my world uh-huh. yet. They, our kids seem to, they'll tell us when they don't like something we're listening to, but they rarely, like, make a request oh, you know, um, on their own behalf. The um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the whole soundtrack. So good. Oh, good. yes. Was amazing. The I whole was, soundtrack. The whole yeah. time we were watching that, I kept thinking, I need to download this. Oh, it's on Alexa. It's just on. Like, yeah, we listen to it all the yeah. time. It's on both, both my kids have. My three-year-old uh, will ask for Minions music, and we just put on a Pharrell station at yeah, that yeah. point, and he's pr- in, in a few of the actual songs we'll cycle through, and then he'll be pretty happy. Just, it, it all kind of sounds, you know, that one we do have to watch the words, because yeah, yeah. there are some rough ones. Um, <laughs> to, like, spat, yeah. quickly find the button and skip through. What else, guys? What have we talked about? Is that it? I think we talked about everything. Literally everything. I love it. Yeah. 
Okay, well, thanks so much, Paul. We will link up to all of your um, stuff that we talked about on the show, everything. <laughs> this will be a long show yeah, notes to, sure. to work out. Yeah. Sure, but a cool one. I think mm-hmm. awesome. So, um, listeners, if you guys have any questions about anything we talked about today, send them in. We're working on a listener question episode. And if it's something you can't answer, we lost Paul. <laughs> so we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Thanks, See Paul. Ya.